0: we're presented in the gospel today with this uh, this poor widow at the temple putting money into the treasury. And I think she's a very interesting figure, um, but also one who's sort of very different from seemingly your situation. You know, she's uh, probably an older woman, um, you know, and she's by herself. This is what it means to be a widow in the ancient world when you're uh, primary support system is your your family. You know, there's no social security, Medicare, or, you know, free health clinics, all these sorts of things. Police departments, your family, your tribe is your primary support. And so, to be a, a widow in a sense is to be in a very vulnerable position. Same thing with orphans or foreigners. That's why they're always t- mentioned in the Old Testament together. So she's this woman in this very vulnerable uh, sort of. Uh, position and what does she do well she takes her last two coins and she puts them into the, tr- the temple treasury so I think the question is well you know what what is she thinking when she's doing this why would she make this kind of dramatic gesture to drop in uh, her two last coins I think there are a couple of lessons we can pull out from this story I think the first one is in understanding her seeing her as someone who really understands the gospel that we heard last week. You know, what is the great commandment? To love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. What's the point of the, the treasury where she's dropping in money? Well, essentially it did two things. So first of all, it supported the priests who did the temple sacrifices. So it supports the worship and the honor of God. And secondly, the treasury was used to help Widows and orphans, so the poor, love of neighbor. And so she's dropping in her her last two cents here in order to do these two things. And so Jesus, I think, really presents her as this uh, kind of model to follow, you know, that she is a true Israelite woman, you know, someone who really fulfills the commandments of the law at their very core. So that's the first thing. I think in another sense I think she I think she saw in some way the greatness and the meaning of what she was doing. And I think if she didn't see that she wouldn't have done what she did. Because just from a a material perspective her gift actually doesn't make that big a difference. You know when the the people, you know, the, the temple accountants go in and they, you know, count the treasury, the collection at the end of the day. Her two coins, I mean, those might not even be a rounding error. You know, it, it's not really a big deal if she doesn't put anything in the box. But she does it. But she does it. She takes these last, these last two coins and drops them in. And, and I think there's a great sort of freedom and dignity in that, that she understands that she has something to give, and that her gift is important. Not in the material sense, like that this is, you know, this is going to, you know, feed 50 orphans, you know, for the next week and a half. Um, But it's important in the sense that she has something that she can give, and she wants to do it. even though it's a very small thing, materially. She gets it. I think she gets it. What she's doing is important. Again, if she were just worried about the material aspects, like, well, what's the point? It's not... It's not, that, it's not that big a contribution. You know, the check ain't that large. So I think she she gets that. I think there's also in her, you can see a, a, a kind of practicality to it. We had a gospel reading this week at, at uh, Daily Mass. Jesus talks about, you know, that we have to be practical about the spiritual life. You know, any king marching into battle with 10,000 troops calculates, well, can I defeat the enemy who has 20,000? If not, he'll sue for peace terms. Okay. So, and Jesus' conclusion is, unless you give away everything, you can't be my disciple. So it's this really weird contrast of this, you know, very practical example of going into battle with the radical statement of, you have to give away everything. And I think for her, that would make sense. I think it would make sense to her because she would say, you know, what, what would her financial advisor say? If She went to Charles Schwab and she said, all right, I got two coins. I'm an old widow. What do I do with these things? No one at Charles Schwab is going to tell her, well, give them away. You know, that, that's not what they would advise. Um, but to her, it makes sense to get rid of the last two coins. And I think for her, she she realizes that she's in a very desperate situation, you know. She's old. She's not married anymore. Can't be really gainfully employed. She's got two coins. And I think there's a very practical calculation that goes on in her mind, a mind that's imbued with faith. And I think she's saying to herself, well, either God's going to take care of me, or he isn't. And if he isn't, I'm kind of screwed. So, hmm. You know, I'm just going to give away and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him with what I have. So I think there's a practicality to her, her radical generosity. She realizes, like, life is so tough and her situation is so hard, if I don't trust God, I'm not going to make it. So while the decision is, is I think, one of dignity, it's one of charity, I think it's also a practical decision made in faith. I believe God loves me, and he's going to take care of me. And so she gives. What does she give? You know, we've been talking about coins, you know, her last two shekels. But if you look at the Greek here from Mark, it's very interesting. So two words that deserve attention. One, when Jesus says surplus wealth, when he's talking about the the wealthy throwing in their their contribution, uh, the word that Mark uses is periseu. Uh, which means um, the, the, the idea is like when you're measuring something out like a cup of flour, it's the stuff that's over the measure. You know, it's the, the abundance that's sort of over and above. It kind of spills out and over. Um, so surplus wealth is, is a fine translation. We could also say kind of the leftovers, you know, is sort of another idea, sort of beyond, above and beyond anything, any measured need that's there. So that's the, the sense of what Jesus is saying. The other interesting word is livelihood. Jesus says, she from her poverty has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. The Greek word is bios. Same word for, that's the root of biology. It means, primary meaning is organic life. Um, But Greek with its limited vocabulary would also use the word bios to designate the things that you need in order to sustain your life, the material goods that you need to sustain your life. So bios can also apply to the money that you need to buy the essentials. And so when Jesus says that she, from her poverty, contributed all she had, her whole livelihood, he's saying her whole bios, her whole life. So in one sense, he's saying she threw her whole life into the treasury of the temple which is, I think, a very kind of dramatic and, and, and beautiful kind of linguistic phrase. She threw her whole life in. And I think she did that because she, she's counting on the Lord, kind of like the widow we heard of in the, the first reading here from the Book of Kings with the prophet Elijah. She's starving. The prophet says, great, you can starve, but, like, make me a cake first. And she says, Okay. And so she makes him his cake. And I think there had to be faith in her. Like, this is a holy guy, and he's asking for something. I'm going to trust this request, even though it seems crazy. And what does God do? What does God do for the widow? That uh, the jar of flour did not go empty, and the jug of oil did not run dry. In terms of how God provides, I think for us, I think that's sort of part of the answer because flour and oil are the stuff of most of the sacraments: confirmation, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and of course, holy communion, the Eucharist. And God keeps those gifts going; He keeps giving to us through those. It's a beautiful line. I think it's from the Book of Lamentations. Um, The Lord's goodwill is not exhausted. His mercies are not spent. They are renewed each morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. It's one of my favorite lines. They're renewed each morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. And finally, when we look at the widow, I think we get this sense from her that what it meant to be good you know, we see her at sort of like the end stage of her life. You know, this is like the final the final scene of the movie starring the widow. But what we miss is all the build-up. You know, there's this dramatic letting go that for Her Holiness is being able to let go of these last two cents. But we don't see the whole movie where she's been practicing, where she's been trained. I think that's the other lesson, too. Like, I think it would be a mistake to think that this was just sort of some ordinary person suddenly inspired to an extraordinary gift. I mean, possible. That happens. I think more realistically, this is the culmination of a life of holiness, a life of being generous to the Lord. And we need to be trained in that. I think there's a societal presumption in our day that that being virtuous is natural and easy and everybody's a good person and, you know, original sin is, you know, it's just a silly story about some naked people talking to a snake, you know. Um, nothing to it. And I think that's all baloney. And I think we can't understand our world or ourselves unless we really get that we have a fallen human nature. And so doing the good is not easy. And we need training. And that this brokenness goes even to when we're young. I was talking to my father yesterday. And apropos of <laughs> absolutely nothing, uh, he remembered this story from when I was in fifth grade and my mother got cancer. And, you know, it was, I mean, it was a big deal. You know, mom gets cancer, that's that's not a small thing, you know. Dad was very worried about her, you know, and he's, he's doing all this research. I mean, he probably could have gotten his own medical degree by the end of it. You know, he's spending a lot of time, he's very worried about mom, loved her very much, loves her very much, they're still married and alive. Um, and you know i grew up in a very loving family i was given a lot of attention so whenever there was any diminishment i noticed yeah so mom is sick but you know dad is spending an awful lot of time with her. And so one day I, I go up to dad and i say dad you've been spending a lot of time with mom when are you going to spend some time with me <laughs> And my dad says look your mother is sick and she needs a lot of attention and we all need to be uh, helping her out, and we need to be making sacrifices for her, and that includes you. And he said, I got this look on my face like, you must be joking. <laughs> <laughs> Such is the depth of sin in our hearts that even when faced with mom's cancer, you know, we, we, it's very easy to think about number one. So we need to be trained. And this is one of the things that I would encourage you to do. You know, at this stage in your life, you know, you're not, you're not the old widows, you know. So what is it that you can do so that at the end of your life you're like the old widow? What is it that you can give that's hard to give? I think one of the obvious things is time. Give God time. It's the most precious thing you have, and no matter how much money you have, we all get the same number of seconds at the beginning of each day. Can you give God time? And there are a lot of demands on it. And there are a lot of things that you give your time to. But Can you give your time to the Lord? In like a substantial way, a way that you're, that you're going to feel. And does it mean you have to, you know, hang out in Lubbers' Loft for, you know, 24-hour vigils all the time? No. Uh, but, but is there the sense that you're giving the Lord time, maybe time that you don't feel you always have? And I would encourage you to think about being generous in that way and being sort of to, able to let go of that ultimate control of this, this very precious resource that's very limited. Recently, uh, one of your uh, peers, uh, Mr. Uh, Dan Campbell, uh, wrote a little reflection for the St. Benedict Institute, which we posted on our website. And I just I want to give him the final word in this homily because I think he did a beautiful job. And he talked about his experience of Exodus, and Exodus 90. And for those of you who don't know, it's very sort of vigorous. It's a 90-day super Lent. You'll hear more about it soon enough. So here's what he said. Exodus put into perspective how worldly I am, and this scared me. But I needed this reality check. Right off the bat, I was struggling with giving up sweets, social media, and frivolous internet. However, it was necessary for my growth, considering that I would like to be able to lay down my life for my faith. It is crazy to think that I should be able to give up my whole life, but I struggle with making time for only 20 minutes of prayer each day. I think there's a great humility in that and a great realism about recognizing like he has this this very high ideal wanting to give his whole life, his whole self, but where he's at right now is, I'm struggling to give 20 minutes. There's a, it's a beautiful honesty there. Here's what he says. Actually, I want you to close your eyes as you listen to his words. Close your eyes. Many people believe that to be a follower of Christ, you must hold on for dear life because it will be tough living for him. But I say that being a follower of Christ is more like letting go for dear life leaving all our desires behind to go serve him. We must let go of the things on this earth and keep our focus on the things above.